I struggled with that a lot. I'm kind of past it now, but I mean, it's it's a it's a work in progress. Some days I still wake up like, no, I do that. You know, I know how to do that. So why would I hire somebody to do that? But that's not really the best use of my time. There's probably somebody who could do that better than me in less time than me. And I can do what only I can do in the business, which is actually a very small part. Your ego, it, it's very yeah. bad, bad for an entrepreneur ego. There's only like 1% of your business is probably you. The other 99% of the people can probably do better than you're doing. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here again with the Building to Scale podcast, where really I get the opportunity and just the 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 fun really to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders, influencers here, hearing their stories of both challenges and successes as they've grown and scaled their business to where it is today. So today I've got Ray Blakeney here with Live Laguna. So first off, Ray, welcome to the show and thank you for coming on. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. Just a quick correction, it's livelingua.com for your listeners. So if they want to go and find it, uh, they can find it. Yep, I wrote it down in my notes. Wrong. Thank you for, for the correction there. But yep. So tell me a little bit about Live Laguna here. What 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 is Live Laguna and what what's your what's your role there today? Sure. So Live Laguna was a business that we started from the ground up. My wife and I, and we never had any intention of kind of getting it up to the seven figures that we are right now. We're actually one of the top five online language schools in the world, and we're the only one in the top five language schools that wasn't started with millions of dollars in VC money. Um, we bootstrapped it for, I know exactly how much, $59.99. That's how much money we invested in LiveLingua when we started. That's because that's how much it costs for one year of hosting on Bluehost when we started back in 2008. I'm a computer programmer. My wife was a Spanish teacher. We just kind of launched it up there. She was a teacher. I answered the emails, made the website, and grew from there. We had kind of an early mover advantage, and we've been in the game now for 12 years. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's, these days with technology, it's a lot easier to get online, but still it's, that has a slippery slope, I'd say as well. And it's a lot easier to jump in without being really well prepared. So that's it. That's the problem. I think, you know, they say what 80% of businesses fail in the first year. If it's an online business, I would say that's 99%. Yeah. Right? Because the number of people who go out there and like, I'm just going to buy the domain and throw up a website and suddenly everybody's going to buy my product. I mean, no, I wish it's not, it's not the old, I date myself with this. It's not field of dreams, right? It's not build it and they will come. They, they, you know, you actually have to put a business, do marketing, have a good value proposition. People have to be looking for your product. I'm surprised how many people launch businesses without actually figuring that out first. Yeah. You know, they kind of go out there and like, yeah, I'm just going to sell this. Does anybody want it? I don't know. I'm like, well, then why are you going to do that? I'm like, you know, so the, they miss a lot of the basic steps because it's too easy to get in nowadays. Yeah. No, I think I heard actually at one point it was 80% of them fail, but that's only of the registered businesses that there's actually that infinite number beyond that that just were never even on an official kind yeah. of radar. Kind you don't of. have to register. If you buy a domain name, you don't have to register your yeah. business. I mean, you know, you can you just register, you know, file the taxes as the sole proprietorship at that point. You don't have to register anything. I yeah. mean, most people never get past that point. So taken back from a, an entrepreneurial standpoint, I know we were talking a little bit beforehand, you've got a number of businesses and stuff before here. So what, what's the what's the story of Ray here a little bit? Yeah, so my background 
is I don't come from an entrepreneurial family, you know, for, for the most part, right? So I come from a family of academics. My, you know, my great grandfather was a professor at Harvard in, in theology. You know, I've a lot of I've history professors in my family and all the rest of it. So entrepreneurial was not in my, you know, in my blood when I was growing up. But for some reason, all my friends always thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. They kind of saw it in me, but I didn't see it in myself when I was a kid. So the long story is I grew up in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, my dad and mother were working there for a U.S. company. So I lived there for the first 15 years of my life. And so I spoke Turkish before I spoke English. So I like to say English is my third language, which looks great on the SATs, but it's a little fake since, you know, two weeks later, I did say something in English. And at the time, I was that kid at those bake sales at school, right, where if you couldn't sell your cupcakes, you just leave it on raised table. And by the end of the whatever the bake sale, it would be sold. So I was that guy. But I, I just did it for fun. I didn't really actually think that, that was going to be, hey, an entrepreneurial side, because I also like computers. Back in the day when floppy disks were actually floppy, that's when I started working on computers. Um, and so that's what I did. I followed my career in computers. I have a degree in computer engineering um, in, from the U.S., and I went and worked in Silicon Valley, some Fortune 500 company. I do consulting in the IT space, um, writing software software for the most part, right? It wasn't until there was a commercial when I was 26 years old for the US Navy. Now I had no intention of joining the Navy. I, all my respects, my uncle was in the Navy, but if somebody shoots at me, I'm running the other way as fast as physically possible. So I, I know myself well enough that I didn't want to do that. But the commercial said, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? And I remember sitting there in my cube, I was a team lead at the time for an IT team and thinking, no, if I continue on this path, I'll make a good salary and you know, I'll be able to support my family, all the rest of it. But I want to have a book, you know, a life that's worth reading about. I wouldn't read about my life. What it's going to say, he went to a cube and he wrote code every day. I mean, yep. the end, that's it. So at that point, I pretty much later the next day, I went online and I applied for the Peace Corps. Uh, you know, I'm like, I wanted to work internationally. There was a catch-22 there. Nobody would hire you to work internationally unless you had actually worked internationally. So I'm like, how am I going to get this job experience if nobody's actually going to give me the job experience? I knew about the Peace Corps. My dad was in the Peace Corps in the Philippines, which is how we met my mom. So I'm like, that'll do it. So, you know, I'll have essentially go work overseas with the Peace Corps with no pay. It's a volunteering job. But then I'll have the international experience so that now when I get back, I can apply for jobs and I can get more. Um, but during those two years in the Peace Corps, I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And we decided, I'm like, hey, before moving back to the US, why don't we just try something? Um, she's a Spanish teacher. She studied in UT Austin, so not too far from you, Jeff. Okay. Um, in the United States, speaks fluent English. But like, hey, let's launch a school here in Mexico. Let's see if, see if it works. You're a teacher. I can make a website. I knew nothing about business, right? So I'm like, I can make a website. Let's just see if this works. We're young. We don't have kids yet. Let's just give it a shot. And we were lucky it worked. So that was our first business was a brick and mortar language school in Mexico, which ended up being a chain of brick and mortar language schools. Um, what happened was the swine flu hit us about a year into it. And suddenly this was supposed to be COVID back in 2008, right? It was supposed yep. to be this big thing. They closed Mexico off. Nobody was flying in, nobody was flying out. So we needed to figure out a way to make money, not only for ourselves, but also for our staff, because much like the US here in Mexico, they don't do financial planning very well. So if you pay them, you know, the paycheck, by the next paycheck, they're totally out of money. So there's not like, you know, we need, it was our responsibility to make sure our teachers could pay their rent and get their food. So it was my wife who actually had the idea. It's like, why don't we contact our old students and see if they want classes on Skype? Again, it's back 2008, nobody was doing it. And I'm like, yeah, why don't we just make another website for it? You know, just throw up a website, see if anybody else wants to do this kind of thing too. So within, Six months, not only did swine flu not happen, right? I mean, it, within 30 days, it was over. Mexico yeah. was open. Our school was fully booked again. 
but six but then six months we were making more money off of our online lessons from this little dinky website i made than we were from our brick and mortar school so we ran them both for a while we sold our brick and mortar school about three years later and we focused on the online school which initially wasn't called live lingo it was spanishlessonsonline.com because back in the day that was what you did for business names to rank on google yeah then google decided to change its algorithm and we lost the business overnight like literally we were number one across the planet and then i woke up in the morning we were banned from google it was an algorithm called Google Penguin. I mean, hundreds of thousands of websites disappeared that day. Ours was one of them. And I had to build it again. We rebranded this live lingua and we relaunched the business. And this time we did it from the ground up. Within three years, we were back to where we were before. Within five years, we won Entrepreneur Magazine's best small business in the US. Um, this was back 2015, 2016. And we've been growing ever since. Not at the unicorn levels that they like to see in Silicon Valley because we don't have money behind. But we grow about 20% a year. Now for a small business, Hey, that's yeah. That's Most nice. Take um, that for sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're kind of in this twenty percent, and this year is actually going to be a spike because of COVID. We've had, you know this can be our best year yet because everybody decided to learn languages online, and so we we saw a bit, March was our best month until last month with Black Friday, which was our best Black Friday, and we actually beat March um, last month as well. But that's kind of the story of how we got to where we were. It's not like hey, I was a little kid and I wanted to own a business and I kind of found it. It was just kind of just all serendipity along the way. And you just kind of take opportunities as they come. And you know, you don't let bad things like Google killing you overnight, stop you, right? You kind of get yeah. up, you dust yourself off. And you're like, Okay, what do we do now? And I've launched a number of other businesses since then sold some um, building some new ones right now. Um, luckily, live lingua, I'm the CEO, but I have a great team who runs the day to day operations most of the time. So I spend about an hour a day um, on live lingua. Well, it makes sense. But yeah, no, speaking specifically to that, talking about either the Google side or even for that matter, like you said, in this wine flu shift, it's like that kind of stuff. We, we look at COVID, obviously, when we're recording right now, but look at COVID today and the impacts it's having across small businesses across the board. And it's like, well, yes, this is a global pandemic, but at the same time, things are going to happen in business no matter what, whether it's like you That's said, it. Google is going to drop you out, whether it's a smaller pandemic kind of a thing with wine mm -hmm. flu. It's just a question as to how you adapt and move forward. And that's a lot of times really that true entrepreneurial spirit is say, okay, like you said, hey, we got knocked down once. Maybe that was a previous business, maybe whatever it was, get up and do it again, kind of a thing there. That's it's it's definitely possible there. And it's that mentality more than more than anything is what I found. That's absolutely right. I agree with you. Resilience is I think the key trait in entrepreneurship. I mean, you know, we things are gonna go badly. You know, there are those graphics you see online sometimes, right? Like, you know, what people think entrepreneurship is, which is this kind of straight line up and then there's wealth at the top of it. What entrepreneurship really is, is that squiggly line that kind of goes up and around and back and all of that's really the truth. It's, you know, it's a joke, but it's absolutely true. I've never heard of anybody kind of doing the straight line up. Even if you look at the big boys, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, where it's like, wow, yeah, it's a straight line. No, it isn't. You have to go in front of Congress, the Senate, one of those two, you know, I mean, it, yeah. you know, there, there are ups and downs for every business around the world. Xerox was the number one in the world. And then now who, who has a Xerox printer in their house? Like, Xerox anymore, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, this is business. And if you can't, if it's not something you want to be, you know, you want to put up with, get a job. Um, a lot of, I know being an entrepreneur these days has become trend. You know, there are podcasts on how to start your own business in 30 days and all the rest of it. I'll be honest, I think 99.9% .9 of the people in the world have no business being entrepreneurs. Um, it's just not, if you want to get quote unquote, a stable paycheck, you know, have lower stress, all the rest of it, get a good education, go and get a job. It yeah. will be a lot less stressful than being an <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, 
entrepreneur is fun. I love it. I can't imagine doing anything else, but it's not for everybody. Um, even though there are plenty of entrepreneurs and marketers out there that will sell it to you as if it's for everybody. I just don't think that's the case. No. And I, I'd perfectly agree with you. Like you said, it's, it's definitely not the, the, the calm, no stress lifestyle for sure. <laughs> if, you, if you want that, then like I said, go, go find, there's plenty of places, find something you enjoy doing, but working for somebody else where you don't have to, that's don't it. have to deal with some of that other side. Yeah. So I'm curious, going back to the, the, the switch from being brick and mortar onto to Skype and online kind of training there, what, what kind of brought that on in terms of just an idea to say, hey, obviously 2000, what'd you say, 2008 or so? That was 2008, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's still not, online's still not the popular thing that it obviously is today. So what, mm -hmm. what kind of had, where, where did that idea come from? Or how'd you even, how'd you convince your wife to, hey, let's jump into this new technology stuff here? And Well, and actually she convinced me. She's the one who came up with the idea of like, okay, so I launched my brick and mortar school with my wife. So actually my wife's been my business partner um, since we started. We literally got married a week after we started our business together. Now, I'm not necessarily recommending that to a lot yeah, of people. Say probably some stories there for sure. There are. There, I mean, I tell people there's all, there's no middle ground there. There's an 80% chance you're going to get divorced and 20% chance you're going to have a super strong relationship. Luckily, we fell into the 20%. There's no middle ground. It's not like your relationship will stay the same if you do that. So, you know, you've got to be kind of, it's a big risk. Um, I don't know if I would do it again looking back, but we're, I mean, it's great. We both work at home. We have, you know, we have our son and we get to take care of him and spend time and I don't really have to explain the business stuff to her because she's in the business too, right? So she's not yeah. like, why are you working all day? I'm like, well, you're sitting next to me working all day too. So, <laughs> you know, you know exactly what we're doing. Um, so to kind of go back to your initial question about why we did the transition, it's because we saw the need. And a lot of the businesses that I've built are around that concept, right? So the way I like to look at it is there's two kinds of entrepreneurs in the world. They're the visionary entrepreneurs, right? There's the Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, the Henry Fords, right? These people who create stuff we didn't even know we needed. And then they sell it to us and, you know, they change the world. That's not me. I'm not one of those kind of entrepreneurs. I fall into this second category. I'm the ones, one of those who sees that people are asking for something or, or I need something and I look for it. Nobody's doing it or nobody's doing it well. So, and so I'm like, well, why don't we do that? So live lingua, that was the thing, right? So people were coming to study Spanish within Mexico saying, I wish I could study back home. Back then there were only these websites you could go to. This was pre-podcast, pre-phone apps. I'm like, well, Skype exists, it's free. We can give these classes online. Let's give it a shot. I mean, you know, that's that's it. We just throw up, you know, throw it up against the wall, see if it sticks, it did. That was where, you know, and that's the business. We knew the demand was there because our students kind of asked us, how can I continue practicing back at home? Um, for example, my new, the new venture I'm working on right now, Podcast Talk. So it's a software product that helps you get booked on podcasts. So you're, you're a guy who wants to get, or a, a woman who wants to get booked on more podcasts. Right now, I wanted to be booked on more podcasts, you know, like yours, Jeff. And I went out there, I'm like, how do you do that? So I Google searched for podcasts to appear on. Wow, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have my assistant, find me podcasts to appear on. She's like, she spent all week and she came back, I found 30. Like you just spent the whole week. She's like, yeah, it's not easy to find podcasts. She went on iTunes. She went on Stitcher. She's searching for them. I don't know if they do interviews. I don't know if they do. Are they still active? Half the podcasts out there haven't created a new episode in the last year, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm building a system in order to automate that process, which is podcast talk, right? It's essentially a search engine that you can go in there and say, find podcasts in the business category that have the word, I don't know, software as a service in any of their show notes at any point. And make sure they made an episode in the last 30 days and have at least 10 reviews. And it brings them all back. And then we do the automated pitch. We help you pitch each one of those podcasts itself. The reason I bring it up is because 
that's why I built the business. I saw a need. I went out there. I looked, is anybody doing this? No, there's no way of doing it. So that's where I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And that's how I launched my businesses. I mean, worst case scenario in those kind of businesses, I'll use it myself. Nobody else does. I'm, I'm using it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's the worst case scenario. It's probably quite a bit of money to, you know, to invest in something that only I would use, but it, you know, at least that's kind of the worst case scenario for me. So that's long story short, you know, that's how you launch businesses. That's how live lingua came about. It's because you see a need and nobody else is meeting that need and you think you can do better. Yeah. Well, that's that. And that really is the key. And that's, that's what I've seen. Cause a lot of people look at, like you're saying, Elon Musk or whatever and saying, Hey, I've got to go revolutionize the world with this thing. It's like, no, you just got to solve as long as you've got a niche with the people that are interested in saying, okay, here's what I can do with that service. And that's really the, the biggest key there from my perspective is, okay, making sure you've got a valid product, a valid market before you start going in. And that's really, I think in some respects, again, the benefit to the, the online is it's really not hard to throw up a website, throw up a quick something there, just validate your idea rather than spending a ton of money kind of a thing, building a whole new product or a whole new new, new line without doing any kind of validation first. So it's the, the technology and the ease of it has its positives and it's been it's negatives for sure it is too easy but at the same time it is pretty easy to go out and validate something at least that's it it's easy to validate but you also have more competition right because now anybody can pretty much jump into the space one thing i'd like to add because i agree 100 with everything you said is make sure you know kind of the reason you're building this business before you start building the business as well i made the mistake in the first brick and mortar school that we did um because i didn't i didn't even know what i didn't know back then um and one of the things that i see a lot of people doing is exactly what you said. They read books by Richard Branson and Elon Musk and they think that's the business they need to build. So they plan like, okay, I'm building the next Facebook. This is what it is. But really for their life, the next Facebook is not really what they need, right? If I told you, hey, I'll build a business that makes $200,000 a year with an 80% profit margin or a 30, you know, $300,000 a year with an 80% profit margin. You're selling like a digital product. Yeah. That'll make you like 250,000 or so a year. That's really bad quick math in my head. So that's probably off, but you know, you get my point. I mean, it's $250,000 a year on a small business that may be you and one or two staff members. For most people, that's like, Hey, you know, I'm working at home. I'm setting my own hours. I make a ton, you know, I'm, I'm in the top, maybe not the 1%, but you're definitely in the top five or six, you know, four or 5% in the United States. If you live in the right place, you know, you, if it's online, you don't have to live in downtown New York City anymore. You can go and, you know, in Dallas, in the suburbs, you know, if you made $250,000 a year, you'd live a really nice house somewhere, right? Yeah. And that might be the life you're going for. So kind of consider that before you plan your business, because some people plan, like I'm building a hundred million dollar e-commerce store. Even if they hit it, they're miserable because they really, you know, getting to that point, you're like, that's, this is not actually what I wanted. I was a lot happier when this was a million dollar e-commerce store and I was spending time with my friends and family all day instead of now where I'm dealing with stress and, you know, shipping and all the rest of it. I was much happier when it was a smaller business. So kind of consider that before you build your business. You don't need a monster in order to support a really happy life. My wife and I were live lingua under normal times. We travel three months out of the year. That's what makes us happy. Um, you know, we make more than enough to do that. We spend most of the year in Mexico. So I like to tell people I have a 400% raise compared to the U S automatically. Right. I mean, you know, if you make a hundred thousand in the U S you're making 400,000 in Mexico, as far as cost of living, we have a cook, we have a cleaner, we have, you know, all that kind of stuff down here that only Rockefellers have in the United States and we travel. So we don't need live lingua. All of our competitors right now, you know, 10, $20 million. They need to get a hundred million dollar valuation. We don't. As long as we stay in the, you know, the seven figure area, we're making more than we need to live and we're kind of comfortable and relaxed and, 
you know, we focus on quality, but that knowing what we're doing it for is what allows us to make that decision instead of saying, grow, 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 which is what a lot of people do, even though they don't know what, what they're growing for. I'll do that. And then I would also say that I doubt when you started Live Lingua, as even though I guess it was the, the other company and when it was the brick and mortar, you didn't go out of the gate with here's 20 brick and mortar stores. It was one, let's prove the concept. Let's grow it slowly. So you don't have to come out the gate as Facebook. You can come out the gate as something smaller, get it to approve it, get it to a certain degree and then start growing it. Because we've actually, I've talked with several people on the podcast already saying, okay, growing too fast is almost just as much of a detriment, That's if not more so than, than not, not growing at all kind of a thing. And even Facebook didn't come out as Facebook. I mean, you know, yeah. it started in his, you know, college dorm room in Harvard for anybody who's seen the movie, right? And it seems like an overnight success, but overnight success does not exist, right? The only people who make money off of the 30 day build your business are the people selling you the course on how to build a business. Not that they've ever <laughs> built you a built a 30 day business before. Because if you think about Mark Zuckerberg, like in his success, he didn't even start in college. You know, he got into Harvard. So it means he must have studied since he was five, you know, gone to schools, had a lot of luck, which means he had, you know, parents who were probably educated, um, you know, stayed together, were able to send him to college, all the rest of it. And he was working all that time. And even when you say when he launched the first version of Facebook to when we were starting to use it was at least a decade. I mean, you know, before, you know, we, everybody started talking about Facebook. It wasn't like he launched it in the next week we were all talking about it. It was, you know, it was about 10 years before it became a household name. And that's fast. I mean, yeah. you know, I joke with people that I've been asked a few times, why don't you write a book on how to launch, because I, you know, launching location independent seven figure businesses is kind of my specialty. Why don't you write a book? And I tell people, I'm like, because nobody would want to read it because my book is, how, you know, how to launch a seven figure business in seven years. Nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants it in seven days, 30 days. It's like how to get six pack abs in seven years. If I, if I wrote that book, worst selling book in the history of, you know, of the world, you know, nobody would do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing with businesses, but I think most successful business owners, if you talk to them, they're closer to me in the sense that they've been working years to get to this point instead of the 30 day, 60 day, 90 day successes. Yeah. So what is, um, obviously we've talked about a couple of different topics here with, with your business and making shifts. Where do you see, or for that, even met our perfect, uh, personal experience leaders struggling when it comes time to make changes or recognize that changes are, are needed to be made in the, in the business. Yeah. Well, it, I think the changes you have are depending on the size of your business, right. And everybody struggles. And I can't speak to anybody who's got a $10 million business. I have no idea because you know, I've, I've never gotten to that point yet. There, the, er, the first struggle I had in the beginning, the early stages, when you're just generally happens at the low six figures, maybe even the, you know, just the six figure range is hiring people. And the struggle is that we have this thing in our head that says, nobody can do this as well as me. So I'm not hiring anybody to answer my emails. I'm the best email answerer that has ever existed in the world for some reason, right? That's what I tell ourselves. Yeah. I know this because I told myself that. I mean, you know, I was answering all the customer support emails. I'm not going to hire anybody. Nobody can do this as well as I can, right? Or hiring a programmer, a designer, a paid ads, whatever it is that you do. It's very hard for us to let go of our ego that early on and start hiring for growth. But if you want to grow past that point, it's absolutely essential. Otherwise, you're going to be staying back in the kind of doer phase, um, the classic book, E-Myth Re Revisited, right? Um, yep. They talk exactly about that, right? Where people just don't hire. And if they do, they don't know how to manage well. So they fire them and they go back to doing it themselves and their business stagnates exactly at that same point. Um, I struggled with that a lot. I'm kind of past it now, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. Some days I still wake up like, no, I do that. I, you know, I know how to do that. So why would I hire somebody to do that? 
but that's not really the best use of my time. There's probably somebody who could do that better than me in less time than me. And I can do what only I can do in the business, which is actually a very small part. Your ego, it, it's very yeah. bad, bad for an entrepreneur ego. There's only like 1% of your business is probably you. The other 99% of the people can probably do better than you're doing. So, you know, it's the keys finding those people and kind of getting the ship moving in the right direction. So tell me just in your experience then from obviously starting with you and your wife, two people to, I think you said what, 100, how many did you say? Uh, we have over about 150 staff, including uh, part-time and contractors. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell me the, the difference in, in your role and your, obviously, as you kind of grew that through those stages, hiring on new people, what, what changed in your role? Obviously, I'm handing some of it off, but still, what, how did you go from obviously being everything, doing the website programming, like you said, to, hey, now, now I've got a team of 130 responsible to me, reporting to me, et cetera. Yeah. So part of it was the mind shift. Um, change that I was talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, I still struggle with it because I still feel like, you know, I'm an engineer by training. So I like doing stuff. I don't actually feel like I've gotten something done in a day unless I do it, right? I built it. If I go in a meet, if I spend the day in four hours of four or five hours of meetings where I, you know, I, we put plans together and we, you know, we plan stuff out to me, it doesn't feel like I've done anything even though I really have, because, you know, I'm getting everybody moving in the right direction. The business is going, we have plans for the next quarter. You know, we're seeing if we hit our goals and all that, that is kind of my role right now. It just takes a little bit of that ego hit to go back that it's not me. It's not me. Right. I mean, I didn't do it. It was somebody else who did it. Um, so that's really one of the biggest challenges in, you know, in growing at this size is getting past that ego because it, it creeps up on you sometimes. I yeah. mean, even if you put systems in place right now, you know, I follow the, I think it was IBM who came up with a standard of only six people, you know, should be direct reports maximum. Yep. So I try, yeah, exactly. So I try to keep to the six people. Um, but everybody has my email and this is on kind of on purpose, right? I mean, I say go through it, but if there's an emergency, pass it to me. Most people are pretty good, but every once in a while, I still find myself going into the customer support email and just scanning them in the morning. I'm like, I should not be doing that, but I know, you know, that's all on me. Um, so there are little things like that I'm still working with to get the business up. And I think everybody has to, but if you want to do it, find a good, you know, team of middle managers. Um, I call them middle managers just because I used to work in corporate, but I kind of hate that name because it sounds like they're in the middle somewhere, but just these people who, you know, can run the different divisions, run them better, better than you. And they tell you essentially that, you know, you tell them how to, what to do, but they tell, they tell you how to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's the key to get a business up to the next level. And right now, yeah, we're doing some C-level hiring right now to try to get us up to, we want to get into mid seven figures. Our goal is eight is just eight figures. And then, uh, you know, one day I hope to have an exit once we get to the eight figure mark, but we're not, uh, again, we're doing 20% growth. So this is not like, yeah, next 12 months we're going to get, no, no, this is probably for another five, 10 years, um, of us working, but Hey, I'll be 50 and have a 10, you know, have a 10 figure, eight figure business. And the exit on there should be enough for me and my wife to Probably, pretty probably comfortable pretty well with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's kind of our goal. It's not hey, retire at 21. Yeah. So I'm curious when you're saying, yeah, you still jump over into the support email box. Why, why is that? Because obviously, let's say surely, surely you're not sitting there thinking, okay, I can do support emails or whatever. What, what's what, why is it that managers or leaders for that matter tend to dive down into the details a little too often, a little bit more than they should kind of a thing. What, what, so your... my theory behind this is that it's because we're always worried there's something going wrong that we don't know about and diving into the details, we're going to find that something, right? Yeah. There's something going on. And if I don't do this, the whole business is going to go bankrupt because we have that kind of fatalistic 
mindset, right? Well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Then you follow that trail all the way down that somehow we end up in jail because somebody sued us or so, you know, like how did that email get us all the way to that point? Um, and that's something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have to, especially if they've bootstrapped like me, where you've kind of gone through all of these steps. It's that fallacy if nobody can do it as good as well as me. So I got to go make sure that they're doing it as well as me. I would try to resist. I fail more often than I succeed, but I, you know, they're doing a good job. I mean, you know, I will tell you 99% of the time I go in there, I find nothing wrong. And that 1% where there's, there is something wrong, they fix it themselves. I don't even get involved. I mean, I just know what happens, which does nothing but actually add to my stress, but doesn't actually improve the business at all. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, they're taking care of it. I know they are, but I'm still worried about it because I saw it. If I never saw it, the business would run around smoothly and my mind would be able to focus on something that's much more important than that one for student who didn't like their teacher and wants a refund for like their $15 payment. I'm like, yeah, really? What am I doing wasting my time on this thing? So, your yeah. attention. so yeah, exactly. I'm curious, what kind of um, reporting or transparency or anything do you have in place that they're telling you that, hey, support division, support group, is, is everything's all right kind of thing? How, how, do, you, how do you forecast from a, a business perspective to say, okay, are we on track or are we, mm-hmm. or is, is, there a, is there a problem coming up? So we actually have the, yeah, we have the advantage of being a fully online business. So everything that happens has a digital trail in our business. Um, So that means we can create reporting for almost anything. You know, you just have to go in there. I will admit I have an advantage here and a hack because I am a computer programmer, right? I know how to read databases. I can go in and write these reports myself in about 30 minutes. There's like no piece of data that I can't get out of the business that I want in about 30 minutes. So that's how we do it. We've been around now for 12 years. So most of these reports we just have in our dashboard. I wrote, you know, in the beginning, I wrote the basics of the dashboard. So I know how it works. We have programmers who do it now, but I actually designed them. Um, so that's kind of, I have a CTO, but I kind of design what they want. Um, and that's how we keep track of it. And right now my COO gives me a, a monthly report. So I try to resist going in every day and hitting refresh like every five minutes to see new payment. Has there been a new payment? Um, again, I fail more often than I succeed in that. But um, those are the kind of reports we do. And we keep track of, you have to kind of, you know, the KPIs, the main KPIs, you have to kind of keep track of those as opposed to kind of going into nitpick every single little one. There are people on my team who do that. You do need to pay attention to your sales funnel where you're, you know, where there's the leakage, but it's not my job as the CEO to do that. Yeah. It's my job is like, is that end number going up, down, or you know, in some cases, staying stable as, as we like? If not, then I ask the person who's responsible why, they go and look for it and they give me a report. Um, in rare, rare occasions, if they can't figure it out, I might jump in the, into the weeds and take a look at it, but I'm, we're talking that's like once a year, once every two years that I'd have to go in there. Because on a high level, nobody will know your business as well as you. There's me using that same language that we were talking about before, right? But on a high level, you kind of know how all the moving parts work, right? Because yeah. if somebody's, we don't silo, we have a small, you know, we everybody talks to each other. But even so, if you're in marketing, you're focusing on the marketing, you're not really focusing on the customer support, you know, and we might be losing people in the transition between the two and only hire a CEO can kind of see them like, okay, you're doing your job, you're doing your job. Why is it that we're losing people in between? I'm the one who has to maybe have to go and take a look at that because I have the kind of picture from both sides bring everybody to the table and say, okay, something's yeah. going on in the, in the cross and we got to do it. But that makes sense. But yeah, I, that's where I was looking to see if you were going to get to was kind of the, having that visibility, having the reports, having the numbers that you mm-hmm. can sit there and see, you don't have to go sit down and ask the accounts receivable person. Have you checked the mail today? Well, how many checks have we had? Cause you, you've got a number there. You can sit there and say, okay, are we on track? Are we hopefully that's in the right direction and have some more longer term visibility with it that way? 
if you've grown from this kind of small to the big, it's also, it's another one of those things that's hard to let go, right? Because in the beginning, one, that first check you get in the mail, everybody remembers it, right? Wow, that's great. You want to put it up on the wall, maybe in the second or the third or the fourth. And then you kind of mentally, we get trained to do that. or like Pavlov's dogs, right? Yep. We, we see a check and we drool or whatever the equivalent psychological um, study would be there, right? We see a payment and it gives us that little boost of endorphins for the day. So we kind of get hooked on that, right? We're just checking payment, payment, maybe on a daily level. Ooh, today was profitable, but then tomorrow's not. So we get depressed and then next day's profitable. I mean, you know, even though when you do an average of the month, the month's fine, um, but you kind of get caught up in that game and it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your family. It's not healthy for your business if you do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a key is, is backing up to a higher level, especially as, as you're starting to grow that, okay, you don't, you don't have to look at all the details like that. You don't necessarily have to know them because if anything, you're driving your team nuts at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right Micromanaging yeah. micro. We've all done that too. So yeah, been there, been that. That's to me, that's one of the hardest things. And again, that's, that's my story as well of being the entrepreneurial type is okay. Tr again, trusting that somebody else can do something and you don't have to sit there and watch how many lines of code did you write? How many entries in the bookkeeping? Whatever did you do? Uh -huh. you know the numbers. Yeah, that's exactly it. So looking forward, obviously, this has been a, an interesting year, but at the same time, you're saying, at least from your standpoint, and I, I can get why, obviously, of, of people being online. What's the what's the future of the next two, three, four, five years kind of thing look for, for LibLingua? Yeah, so we, we want to continue our growth. Luckily, this has been a good year for us because of a lot of people being at home and deciding they want to make take advantage of that time by learning something. Learning a language is one of the big things that people have been learning online. Just like most business owners know, you know, my friends and family come to me, it's like, oh, it's been a great year. What are you going to do? Go buy a new car? I'm like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, so what am I going to do with this extra money? We're reinvesting it into the business. So we're going to be expanding into some potential new marketing channels to see if any of those work. So we're going to do a pretty heavy push into YouTube. We've already got um, some pretty cool Spanish learnings, like, you know, animated videos that we're launching out there. We're doing a three month buffer. So we're already there. So we'll have like a four or five month buffer by the time we launch in January. Um, we're going to probably bring on somebody else to do some project management. Some of that's slipping a little bit. So we're bringing on new staff, some new marketers, and we're going to build our own, build an outbound sales team, which is not actually something we've done before. I've been doing online marketing most of the time. So, you know, search engine optimization, Google ads, Facebook ads, that's how we built our business was we bootstrapped. So we yep. couldn't afford to hire a salesperson, but we're seeing a lot. We're getting a lot of clients now from small to medium sized businesses, you know, people with staff of 10 to 50 people up to even a hundred like medical clinics or construction companies because our strongest language is Spanish. So, you know, they're like, Hey, we have a lot of employees who speak Spanish. We have a lot of clients who speak Spanish, but our staff doesn't. So we need somebody to come in here and, hey, help us learn the language. And since the way we work is we use geo-arbitrage for our pricing, which means our Spanish teachers are in Mexico and Peru. We have them from all over Latin America and Spain. That means even with our costs on top of it, the price blows anything you're going to get in the United States out of the water. Like, right, you know, $11 an hour is we can give you private one-on-one -on -one Spanish lessons for $11 an hour in Dallas, New York City, San Francisco. No. For them to come to your house to choose your hour, you know, no, 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 that's not even close. So that's what we're able to do. And we're, a lot of small businesses are kind of learning that they have this flexibility. They don't have to send their people to an office. They do it on their own time. So we're seeing a lot of business people just through referrals come to us. So we're going to build a sales team now, hopefully to try to get in front of those people and say, Hey, we, we have a way that we, you can kind of grow, essentially grow your business. Most people don't look at language learning as that, but if 
you're working with a lot of people who are Spanish speakers. It's one out of three people in the U.S. are Spanish speakers. You live in Texas. I'm guessing it's even higher there. Exactly. So learning Spanish is a plus to your business. And if your investment is, we just had like a a company buy $5,000 worth of lessons for next year. For a seven-figure company, $5,000 is a drop in the bucket. I mean, this is nothing. And if it grows your business 1% because you're able to convert one more Spanish-speaking client or you're able to communicate better with your staff because they speak Spanish, 1% better so their productivity goes up 1%, you've made that money back multiple times over. Yeah, no, it's, and yeah, it, it definitely is. I've unfortunately left, let mine wither or whatever. I, I took a lot of high school and college kind of stuff and just don't use it enough. But yeah, there's been many a times with, vendors and stuff like that it's like oh i wish i knew that or wish i could better understood that it. kind of a thing there so yeah i, I get where you're going with because it's especially here really anywhere up the southwest kind of a thing especially in, in the u.s yeah very lot you run into that a lot kind of a thing but i, I noticed i think i was looking at the website it's, it's spanish french you, you got four or five other languages don't you we actually have 11 languages that we teach um, oh, wow. the ones you see at the top are our main ones they take up about 70 percent of our business and then the other like seven take up 30 percent. so they're not less prevalent on the site um that's online marketing SEO. There's a reason why our homepage has, has certain ones and the other ones don't. Um, and the demand, of course, is not as much. Most of our client base is in the United States and Canada and, and the UK. And Spanish is by far the most in demand language in those countries. Um, again, we have French, Spanish, um, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Chinese, all those other languages as well. But the demand is simply just not enough for us to make that a focus of our marketing. Makes sense. Yep. So kind of bring this all the way back around. I know we've talked through a number of different things here, but if there was, what would be like your one best tip, your one best strategy to say that, hey, if I knew this 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 2008, yeah, uh, that things would be a lot different or things that would have been a lot smoother, put it that way. Absolutely. Um, Great question. And I think the answer is pretty obvious for me. It's focus on one thing, make sure it works for, you know, works well first before following the next shiny object. I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs done that. I did. So, you know, the story behind it is when we launched LiveLing the first time and got up to six figures, I'm like, woo, this is great. This is easy. And so I tried my hand at like another dozen businesses that didn't work until LiveLing got hit by the, you know, the Google update. And I had to go back to focusing 100% on that for the next three years to build it back up. I kick myself because we started so early that if I had only focused on LiveLing all that time, none of our competitors right now would be even in the ballpark. Because I would have, we would have just had so much of a head start on them, so much of a, you know, instead of me wasting time and money on all these projects, we would have been at, I think, at eight figures already. Um, but I didn't, I lost, you know, I lost, kept my off the ball. And that as a result, the business didn't grow. Do not start another business project until you have a good team running your main one. Um, all of us dream of having multiple successful businesses. It's possible, but only if you have a successful business that other people are running for you. If you can't run a successful business, and try to launch other successful business at the same time. If your your main business is still a full time job, you simply yeah. don't have the time to do it. No, it's 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 definitely the shiny object syndrome that honestly most visionary type entrepreneurs have. Absolutely. But I, but I'd even I'd even say turn it back within the your, your own business itself. You're not sitting here trying to do every language under the sun kind of a thing. You're not doing 2025. 20, hey, these are the ones that are our sweet spot. These are the ones that have the most investment kind of a thing there. So even still within the same company, you're not having to start multiple businesses. You got to be able to still stay targeted That's it. in your own business as well. Actually, I'm going to ma- I'll mention something since you brought it up. This will be the first podcast I mentioned on. We're actually dropping four languages in January. That's exactly that point. I reread Good to Great. And I'm like, yeah, you know, these, these four languages are, we can't be great. We're good at them. 
yeah. we're not going to be great at them. So we're going to be moving down and try to become focused on even fewer languages. Part of it's a marketing thing pivot as well, because for example, our competitors are like us. They, you know, let's say they have 30 languages they want to do. They might be 30 times bigger than us, but if you do the math, that means let's say they make $30 million a year. That means they have a million dollars to spend on each language, all yeah. things being equal. They're not 30 times bigger than us. Let's say they're four or five times bigger than us. So if we get rid of all but like one or two languages and we just focus all our money on that, we can blow $30 million companies out of the water in that language. And that's kind of what we're focusing at. So, you know, our, our main focus right now is going to become Spanish over the next few years um, because we might become, we're right now, we're the, you know, I think number three, number four language school in the world. I think we'd rather be in the number one Spanish school on the planet. Um, and that's kind of what we're probably going to work towards in the next few years, because that's how we started. We started in Spanish. I kept on tacking on languages over the, over the years. Yeah. And now we're going to kind of phase back and say, okay, yeah, you guys can have the other ones. We're going to become the best Spanish school on the planet. And that's, that's, that's the, really the key. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like what you're saying of, okay, focus on what you can really do well, exceed at that kind of thing. It's the, the, the story or whatever of how much energy basically the sun puts off kind of a thing. In worst case, you go outside, you get a sun sunburn kind of a thing versus if you bring it down to a laser kind of focus, small fraction of the energy, small fraction of the resources, you can compete against the much bigger guys, but you're putting everything into one specific path right there laser cuts through diamonds or steel or whatnot that's it but it's much more resources there because you don't have the resources of the big guys being a smaller company and we don't want it to beat them yeah. in a, a finite area so yeah exactly we get approached by investors all the time um you know because we are the only one in the big five that has no vc money behind it so investors are like yeah i'm gonna come in because they'll obviously they know they're gonna it's one it's a proven product two they'll get more equity share because they don't have to split it with all the series a series b series c people that that have already invested um but we don't want it it goes back to what we started this whole conversation with the why, right? Our why is not to be a $50 million, be featured on the NASDAQ. It's enough to support me, my family, my, you know, my wife, my son, and to give us the lifestyle for us and to our staff, right? Because they're all virtual staff. They can travel around the world that they want as well. It's not grow, grow, grow for the sake of growth. We, yeah. We're not looking for that. And that's, that's really key there is just, like you said, understand that why, because that why, for one, why you're in business, but even why you're doing this for yourself, both is, is really key there. So yeah, it's, mm. Too many people I find that are just, it's almost like day-to-day -day kind of you're in business just for the next day. It's like, okay, where's the longer term picture? Where's the longer term vision? What are you, what are you working for? And that goes down to, to your team as much as anything. It's like, okay, why, why are they there? Why are they part of this? So yeah, having that kind of vision is very good and will help you out for, for a long term there. Mm -hmm. so, I agree. Unfortunately, kind of running out of time. There's actually several more things I'd love to dive into there, what you're saying, but uh, don't want to turn this into a two-hour podcast here. So uh, give our listeners just a quick, where can we go to, they want to go learn some more Spanish or where can they go find some more information about you? Yeah, sounds good. So finding information about me is a little bit harder because I like to tell people, I'm like, I spend time building businesses, not my own brand. So it's not like, hey, I'm all over the web. Um, so if you want to find out more about my primary business right now is livelingua.com, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com. You can go there. We do, we run a transparent company. So if you want to go to the about us page, you want to email me, my email is right there. So it's not hidden behind a contact us. You can get in touch with me directly through that website. Or if you want to find out about my new project right now, which is called podcast hawk, podcast H-A-W-K.com, which is the SaaS product, which is to kind of get you booked on podcasts automatically every month on autopilot. Once you set it up, you just kind of set and forget. And hopefully you get booking emails just appearing in your inbox. Um, you can go to podcast talk. 
since I specialize in bootstrapping the businesses, it's me and one programmer. So you go to the contact us page that actually for now, depending on when you listen to this, go straight into my inbox. So go to the contact us page there. I will answer you. Hopefully within six months, I'll have a customer support person doing it. But for right now, I like to see what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, so we can start pivoting and fixing that real quick with the MVP. So podcasthawk.com and livelingwood.com are the best ways to get in touch. Yeah, we'll get both those in the show notes. And I'm I'm curious to watch, especially the podcast talk one, because that's I know being in this industry trying to do this, this is like you said, it's it's a challenge. It's still kind of wild yeah. west on figuring out which podcasts and like you said, the right ones hanging around, things like that. So that's that'll be interesting to see. I'll I like to see how how well that takes off. So absolutely it's launching in january so wow next month so yeah. you know 30 days so we're all good we're getting there quick so all right well i just say thank you again for your time and for for being on and like i said we'll get all this put together have those notes out there and make sure we got links to hopefully get you some traffic there coming up thanks jeff it's been a pleasure thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the building to scale podcast if you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story please visit building slash guest If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.